0: Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example. And it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. Welcome to the First Ever Podcast. My name is Jeremy Boehm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 179 is Mary Jane Dunphy. Whoa, one hell of a performer. This last winter, we did some shows with uh, Deaf Heaven. And Mary Jane opened a handful of those shows. I was unfamiliar. I knew the name a little bit because I know that she had put out a record on Popwig, which is, of course, the label run by members of Turnstile and Angel Dust. Um, But, you know, I I didn't necessarily know what the vibe was or anything like that. So, um, yeah, she opened a handful of those shows and I just watched the entire set every single time. Um, Just incredible dance moves a a fucking incredible voice and just one of the coolest people that uh we've we've had the pleasure of kind of spending time with even though it was such a short amount of time um and getting to know her a little bit over those uh few days the story she told me i i just knew i had to have her on and i gotta be honest this is truly one of my favorite episodes been doing the show now for a handful of years and um this one is extra special and speaking of extra special, there's a bonus episode available right now where Mary Jane answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You could also find the link in the episode description. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month. It helps support the show. You get access to all of that bonus material. If you subscribe for just a little bit more, you yourself can submit questions to upcoming guests. You'll find out who's coming on. Um, We're doing a lot of fun stuff over there, and your support would mean a whole lot. Another great way to support is to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this. Uh, Leaving a positive rating and review, all of those things do a whole lot, and it's so welcomed. Um, Also, I want to say, if you are in the New York area this weekend, Mary Jane Dunphy is going to be playing at the Knitting Factory this Friday, February 2nd. And it's going to be a uh, sort of a belated record release show. I wish I could be there. Um, All right, without further ado... Here is my conversation with the one and only, the extraordinary, it's Mary Jane Dunphy. Hey, MJ, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing good.
0: So, I, you know, you and I just got to play some shows together
1: mm-hmm. over the
0: winter, which was absolutely awesome. I was blown away by you every single night. I, I had such a great time hanging out with you. And I was, you know, we talked briefly about like, oh, I, I, I want you to come on the podcast. So I'm so excited we were able to do this today. So, also when we were talking, like you had, you struck me as someone who has such an interesting story with the places you've lived and like all these different walks of life that you've been a part of. So, I wanted to sort of like, you know, kind of dive into that stuff because I think a lot of people find it really interesting. Um, the first thing I usually ask musicians is well, so firstly, you're from the Pacific Northwest.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I was curious when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically? that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house but something that you found on your own that kind of gave you a sense of identity
1: yeah um well <clears throat> i kind of grew up in the inland northwest in spokane um not a huge cultural hub but uh, i found I I feel like this counts. I found like a cassette tape in the trailer that we lived in when I was like seven or eight. And it was a Prince tape. Ooh. And uh, I don't know why. There was no case for it or anything. Yeah. It just said Prince on it. And his voice was so high. I thought he was a girl named yeah. Prince. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever because I was a huge tomboy.
0: Yeah. And.
1: I just, I just loved it. I'd listen to it like every single day and yeah, I had no idea what he was talking about. I thought raspberry beret was like a food, you know, I don't know, but (laughs) I was obsessed.
0: (laughs) Oh, just, just because my, my knowledge of Prince is is mostly just him as an icon and the hits and like the movies and stuff like that. What record is that uh, actually? Is that like purple rain or.
1: I don't even know which is crazy that i don't know but i was just like it's more of like a felt memory than something i really (laughs) like you know what i mean yeah like i listen to him now but i usually listen to like um all the like the pop b-sides sort of album you know what i mean and i like pick and choose totally Um, yeah
0: yeah. I haven't had my like overwhelming Prince phase yet. I, I, you know, I stand by that. There's no wrong time in your life to like dive in or like get into something. And I
1: totally agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, he, so he's just this like overwhelming huge beacon of like a gigantic discography that at some point I'm going to make my identity. Just everybody mm-hmm. has <laughs> to sit back and wait for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's interesting how life works like that though. How, sometimes it just out of nowhere out of thin air just presents you with this treasure that just like out of nowhere it's like how did that tape get there like yeah just some mystery of life that just landed in this room you know what i'm saying
1: thing happened when i was like 13 i think 13 yeah 13 14 i found a disintegration by the cure in one of my mom's like cassette suitcases and all of the shit that we had in our house was like from the goodwill or estate sales or i don't know what so yeah it probably just was bought the whole suitcase with the tapes is probably just all bought in one go sort of vibe right but oh my god i was obsessed i like printed out the lyrics to pictures of you and like put it in my binder you know i was just like thought he was such a poet or something yeah of course
0: Uh, kind of like it's also interesting when it's something that you're like, How did my, how did a parent have this? Like, how, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, after, um, my mom had passed away some, some years ago now, but I remember when I was going through all of her records, mm-hmm. I found like these books that had, that were just like full of seven inches, like 45s. And going through them, I was like, This was how, my mom would have never talked to me about listening to this. Like, what? Cause I always knew her as loving, like, just kind of country music which is which is great and has Mm -hmm. tons of great stuff but i was like finding like beatles 45s and stuff like that i was like she never once mentioned the beatles like where did this come from you know yeah it's weird how that works um i was curious what uh what the first record you remember getting yourself like that you maybe picked out or like someone gave to you something like that that uh that Um, was just like an exciting thing that you sort of like selected on your own or got on your own.
1: We weren't really, we didn't really like buy new music when I was a kid because I just grew up pretty broadcast. But um, I think I got like a Hastings gift card when I was in junior high, which is like a used CD shop. And I bought, me and my best friend, Julia Bartholomew, we went and bought cds and i bought nimrod and dookie on, on cd
0: nice <laughs>
1: and i was so excited oh my
0: yeah God. oh yeah. wow that's awesome did uh mm. i know they just put out i think they just put out a brand new album today and it's crazy so uh that's,
1: that is actually i yeah. s- met trey cool like two days ago with justice
0: no randomly,
1: way at the comedy cellar and i he looked exactly like Joe Pesci from Home Alone. <laughs> it was so crazy.
0: He just happened to be there, and you did you, yeah. Talk, did yeah, you talk? Yeah, home? yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They asked him. I didn't really care. I don't really like talent. I mean, it's cool, but I don't yeah. like asking for pictures. Sure. Not. But they were like, "Can we get a picture?" And he was like, "I don't want to touch your fucking phone. It's it's all dirty." I mean, he didn't have a New York accent. He had like yeah. a weird like Valley Girl Bay Area accent, but. <laughs> He just kind of took the pick and like ran off into the night, and it was really weird, and I was like, "Whoa, wow,
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> something that I remember being so impressed by and thought was so cool is um Touche got to play uh, some European festival that they were one of the headliners on, and uh we bullshitted our way to the side stage to watch Rancid, who played right before them mm. and we watched Trey Cool setting up his own drums with their drum tech, where you could tell he really enjoyed that. Whereas, like, bands of oh, his level yeah. would never think that they would let that they'd want to be involved in that, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was just something that really like all of us kind of noted. We're like, damn, Trey Cool's real. That's sick.
1: Yeah. Well, also, he really didn't want to touch someone else's phone. So maybe he just doesn't like people touching his stuff and vice oh. versa.
0: <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's a very solid call. I don't that know. Like,
1: I mean, also, he's probably a real one, but yeah.
0: Yeah. If he's yeah, like I, hanging
1: out alone at the comedy cellar at 1 a.m., he's probably like somewhat of a real one, you
0: know? That's, that is also <laughs> very true. That is also very true. Yeah. Uh, what about the first concert you ever went to or the first time you saw live music? Do you remember oh what my that God. was?
1: The first show I went to was a free concert in Riverfront Park in Spokane, and it was Shaggy. And I was oh, six years old. <laughs> and I was so excited. And he played Mr. Boom because it was like that period. Yeah. And he's like, this song goes out to all the girls with boyfriends. And he's probably about talking about being a Jody or something. But I... <laughs> He's like, if you have a boyfriend, like, let me hear you. And I was like, woo. And then my friend was like, Mary Jane, you don't have a boyfriend. Like, you're not allowed to woo. And I was so humiliated. Aww. I was sick. I was like, God, Shaggy knows. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <It was laughs> so, you know, highs and lows. But, yeah. You know, it
0: was Do- fun. Do you... I mean I'm sure cuz you were 6 years old it's it's like maybe a little harder to to know the uh the background but was it like a was it like a fair situation like Yeah what? it was okay. called
1: um Pig out in the park. Okay. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> food vendors they get like Weird Al or Shaggy or whoever to play you know. I wish it was Weird Al cuz
0: that would have been cool.
1: Yeah actually before the now that I think about it before even those Green Day CDs I had a running with scissors, Weird Al oh. CD in fourth grade, and I think he's kind of the gateway for me.
0: You, <laughs> you know, what's cool is that that isn't like there's like four acts or four bands that get mentioned kind of the most on this show, and Weird mm. Al is in that four. Like, there's a lot yeah. of people who are like if I had to be honest, it's and it makes so much sense because it's like it's so for kids. You know, yeah, what I'm saying?
1: exactly
0: that's yeah totally
1: he's like this is for you you're like i like this this is way better than kids bob you know
0: (laughs) right because it's like you're still getting the actual you're still getting a version of the big radio hits but it's with the comedy stylings that appeal to a kid
1: yeah and also i mean there's something a little punk there like christmas on ground zero that's like about a nuclear apocalypse on the holidays that's great you know Girls now, just want to have lunch. I love it. It's like one of my favorites.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da. I'm curious. Have you ever tried to research who else potentially played that fair? Like, no. No. I would be I would be curious to like if you were to look back and be like, oh my God, I didn't realize like you know like the bare naked ladies also played with shaggy or some oh my god some...
1: i would remember it might have only <laughs> like in my mind only one person played you yeah. know and it was shaggy but who even knows who even
0: knows who yeah even
1: knows it's spokane i don't really know what the budget was in the early 90s but i don't think it was that good
0: i remember there was a venue that was pretty pretty popular in spokane in maybe like the mid to like 2006 the big
1: or... dipper fat tuesdays i saw paramore there in like 2005 or six
0: whoa yeah how big is that room
1: very small i think it was like one of their first tours because she's like maybe like a year or two older than me and i saw her in the bathroom and i was like wow you're yeah, like so young, <laughs> and we like double high-fived and then she went out on the like two foot high stage and played the show and I was like this rocks but I never yeah I didn't really yeah. keep up with the catalog but that sure. was like one of my favorite shows when I was a teenager I remember oh that's awesome I got to see someone that was like me on the stage
0: right 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 yeah. so did you end up finding like a local scene in Spokane before because what yeah because you moved because you also moved away when you were there. Uh, like a Teen. little later as a teenager, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I think I some kids were like a part of that pyramid scheme where adults get them to sell tickets to their own shows, um, <laughs> uh-huh. and it was like a battle of the bands at Fat Tuesdays, and I went, and it was like the most like important diary entry of the year. You know, I was like, right. oh my god, I got to see so and so's band. I was so excited. And I got to go out on my own. Like my family didn't own a car and I lived out far in the valley. So I had to like walk an hour past the dump, like a McDonald's, an industrial park to get to a bus stop that would some, the bus would sometimes come once an hour. So sometimes you'd wait there. And if you weren't right next to it, you'd have to wait two hours because they just keep going. And then the bus was an hour long to get downtown before they had the express and uh the street i had to walk down was like four lanes maybe like like or like six it was so massive and Jesus. just like dystopian yeah. like sub like like sub rural crap yeah so it was a big deal for me to commute to go to shows alone and yeah. i was like really self-conscious like lazy eye girl didn't have friends in school and I got into politics and going to shows and punk and like all that around the same time and it was like a ticket to freedom sort of
0: yeah I mean this is just a this is probably a very obvious thing to say but knowing how much you ended up traversing kind of around the country very you know uh like nomad style It sounds like you got your start with that, even just going to shows, where it's like you found you felt the comfort in like that kind of a like you know rural travel to get places where you want to go. Do you think that that like set you up for being more comfortable doing that?
1: Oh, totally. Um, But also, like, even it's it's kind of just been my whole life because even with my mom, I remember she really wanted to take me to like. The zone, which was like a ball pit sort of pizza place, like Chuck E. Cheese uh-huh. for my birthday. Um, maybe when I was like eight, like around that time, maybe 10, I don't know. But we, me and her, walked there together. It was like seven miles or something, wow. yeah, because there was like no bus connections and we couldn't get a ride, right? Um, and then it was permanently. Closed, no, it was permanently closed, and we got to this parking lot, and it was so devastating, but I felt more bad that my mom like couldn't do it, you know what I mean, like yeah. I felt bad that like her gift that she tried so hard to make happen couldn't happen, and right. so then I think we just like stopped by a shop co or a Kmart on the walk home. And she bought me an inflatable punching bag to make. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my whole family's been nomads. Like, I li- yeah, I lived 18 different places before I was 17. Wow. And my mom, like, lived in a van with her mom that traveled around the country like and then they're like back to the Landers and like friends with the Hell's Angels in the sixties and like my grandma's hanging out with Timothy Leary being a maniac and like oh my ran God. away from home when she was a teen and yeah my my grandpa didn't know her real name till after they were married no social security card no numbers like anyway that's a whole yeah bag no that's of so stories but
0: no that's so interesting
1: basically like. Um, I'm within the tradition, you know <laughs> right. of my family.
0: It's interesting how like one path sets down all the other paths where just like by proxy these things are are kind of just lined up to to continue this thing. And yeah. you're carrying it's, you're carrying the tradition.
1: Yeah, big boots to fill. It's either that or you like totally rebel and become a bank teller or something. But right. I I kept with it, I
0: guess. Do you have siblings?
1: I do, yeah.
0: Yeah. Are they are they more Are they in the same vein of like travelers around or are they more straight? No,
1: they are all still, none of them have moved out of Spokane.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's the story you told reminded me a lot of, um, the pizza parlor story. It's, it's, it's like the the small town version of national lampoon's vacation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They go all across the country and then they show up at Wally world and it's closed.
1: It's fucking closed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, so you, I know when watching you perform, you play guitar on stage. I was curious what your first instrument was. Was it guitar?
1: Yeah, it was. I didn't, I feel like I really liked it. I didn't, I never took any music stuff seriously. I just liked it, you know? Right. But I got my first one also in elementary school from this guy that like would hang out and smoke weed with my mom named Will. He was very nice. And he, he like taught me cowboy chords and like yeah. how to play a Frank Zappa song. <laughs> so, you know, was that your I first like, song you
0: learned how to play? A Frank. Zappa yeah, song? I
1: learned what's the ugliest part of your body when I was like a kid. <laughs> Which is it's not dirty. I mean, it's oh, yeah, the sure. is your mind. But yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I, I mean, again, this is just like the like. It makes so much sense to me <laughs> that a Frank Zappa song was the first thing that you learned.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. So what kind of, do you remember what kind of guitar it was? It was just on? like
1: an acoustic, nylon okay. string, okay, classical guitar. I really wanted an electric, but he was like, you'll get better if you learn on an acoustic first. Yeah. Also, I feel like there was like a old, it's like really antiquated, like people don't even think this way, but like girls playing classical guitars and like guys playing electric guitars sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think that was a little mixed in too.
0: Totally totally, um you know a thing that we talk about sometimes on the show eventually, like or over time is like also having to learn on an acous on an acoustic, especially if it's like maybe a hand me down or something like that. There's always a situation where like maybe the action is really high, and it makes it so much even harder to play yes. too. So and you're almost, like, I
1: guess this is just what it's like. I've never touched another guitar.
0: Absolutely. And it also makes sense why so many kids end up probably giving up on it because it's such a difficult thing to play. But then when you are older or like you meet someone or you get given the opportunity to play something that is like set correctly and mm-hmm. it's just mind blowing how much better and easier it is. You're like, totally. oh, my God. Yeah. He,
1: he was like... Um... I didn't I didn't grow up with my dad. So I had a lot of like dad pals. Luckily, none of them were creeps. Um, And he was one of he was one of the main ones. And I would go out to his house on the weekends. And it was like outside of Spokane in this place called Tum Tum. It was so beautiful. And just like he had like 90 acres and like pit bulls and peacocks and he would fix up guitars. He like got an inheritance. He was in his fifties and he just smoked weed and fixed guitars. Um, so he had literally like a hundred, gu- like so many guitars in this big house. Yeah. And he had this like short scale black Gibson hollow body electric. I don't know the exact model, but I got to play that when I would come over. Yeah. And, like, fiddle around. He'd play slide guitar and we'd watch samurai movies. It was great. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Man, the the excitement of ever, like, the first time you, like, play through an amp is also Ugh. just like, holy shit.
1: Yeah. He was the one, too, that taught me that tubes were the first distortion. He's like, you just got to crank it.
0: Right. You know. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, What about so how long until you did a, uh, until you did a band, like at what point in your life had you moved away? Like where, where were you when you started playing with other people?
1: I don't know. I mean, there was like dabbling when I was in high school, you know, I think I played like probably, I think I played like cowbell and a rock lobster cover on Halloween once, you know, in high school, but I didn't really play play until, um, Maybe when I lived in San Luis Obispo, actually, and I ha- I had like a folk project, um, okay, It's an embarrassing name. <laughs> okay, I mean <laughs> that's
0: I... that's what we do here. Is it is it is it uh, uh, able to be said on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's
1: uh, it was called "The Woman Is a Danger Cat," which is the name of a mate, like a fake poem from that mockumentary foo bar about those two Canadian metalheads. Do yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really funny when I was like 17, um, around
0: when I lived there. MJ, I'm Jan telling you right now, that is so far from the worst band names that have been said <laughs> okay. on you. That's not that bad. You're pretty good. You're pretty good. I thought it was
1: good when we were in yeah. Danger Cat. And then I played like, this is like the most twee thing ever, but like I played like banjo, folk songs in a yeah. park, Gazebo, my first show with, with Kimya Dawson. It was like.
0: I was. Literally, yeah, you
1: couldn't possibly. The foreshadow of me moving to Olympia was like imminent, <laughs>
0: so. I was going I was one second away from saying. So, were you like listening to a lot of like Kimya Dawson at the time? So, then yeah. Like,
1: I mean, I I was unfortunately a victim of being a teen in the early two thousands. So, totally. like, I hate to say, even folk punk was probably being listened to at some point. But oh also, like, and I was like when I got into music in Spokane, I also kind of became, I like became edge really early on. Uh Um, So there was like hardcore in there too. And that's probably what saved my life. And like the whole time I was like, people say houseless, but I don't think I had a home either. So I I feel like I was like homeless for a few years and just not drinking or doing drugs and being into that, like a community of other people that, into hardcore and knew how to like scam to live was like where i was but it was all kind of mixing together you know
0: um firstly there's a lot of good stuff that came out of that punk (laughs) scene for that for that minute like i i rode for defiance ohio and a lot of that (laughs) stuff like there's some there's some good songs in there you know it is just interesting that it's such a time and place you know i think it's been kind of a minute there's a few i liked um The only band that I think I find myself, like it might come up on a playlist or something like that is, uh, did you ever like Nana Grizzle? I don't know it. So Nana Grizzle was members of Defiance Ohio, but also members of Neutral Milk Hotel.
1: Okay. So it's
0: kind of a cool mix of, you hear both sort of vibes in it. And
1: if I ever have to hear another busker playing (laughs) Neutral Milk Hotel, oh my God, I will end it there.
0: That's
1: like the amount of times between like 2000 i don't know four to uh eight maybe oh
0: jesus yep yep no i i i get it completely i get (laughs) it completely okay let me try to figure out the timeline so you went from you went from um spokane was so was san luis obispo next or dude
1: I like that we're talking about this because you're going to help me figure out the timeline. Because okay. Because everything, yeah. so many things happened sure. in such a short span. It's my, and like, I was without a cell phone or a computer or anything during yeah. these periods. So are it you, really is like such are you riding train?
0: You, you talked about train hopping at some point. Are you riding trains? Are you hitchhiking? Are you? All of it. All, all of it. 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 So
1: like, um I can't remember which happened first. Okay. First, I met these dudes, Nathaniel and Spider. And, like, I was already in, like, sort of an anarchist, like, activist scene. Northwest, there's green anarchism going around, you know. Um, And, like, into hardcore. I was already there. Okay. And then I met these two dudes that weren't street punks like I was used to in Spokane. They were, like, crust and they were, like, into scamming and traveling. And... I was like, God, I want to go with you guys. And they were straight at you, which was sick. And they were like, we'll just come back in two months and kidnap you. And I was like, all right, sick. And then they did. And I left with them. And uh they taught me we scammed Amtrak. They taught me how to like do all that. And I rode across the country. And... Like you were able
0: to figure out like how to how to get on an Amtrak train, like like in the, you know, like sit in the seats and all that sort of stuff without having to get a ticket. Mm-hmm. oh that's awesome
1: <laughs> so that. i don't know if it works now but sure, yeah or I'm... just paying for the next town and figuring out how to stay on oh, um, right. for a three-day trip Damn. either way um yeah. spokane was a place where the crew changes i don't think anyone on am who works for amtrak is listening to this so hopefully this is safe i don't want to like let go of a
0: hey.
1: scam if it still works yeah. but i don't i don't know i don't really think it does but no. there's a crew change so like you would steal one of the little green cards that you put above your seat yeah um off the desk we had like a whole stack and then just get on the train and put like chi one put it above your seat and act like you're asleep and then uh the new crew comes on and they think that you they think that you've been there for a while so we rode it all the way i think the tracks flooded and they switched us to a bus and we had to. Like I learned how to lie I learned how to be charismatic Like to travel you know And so we got our way onto the bus We convinced The bus driver to drop us off In Madison, Wisconsin Even though he wasn't even stopping there And we walked from the freeway exit All the way to downtown Um, And I remember It was the first time I'd experienced Like a Midwest like spring Torrential downpour where it's like hot
0: Oh, yeah. But like a
1: complete sky opens up, instantaneous waterfall. Yeah. And I just was laughing hysterically. And it was like the most euphoric feeling. And it was the first time I had ever seen lightning bugs. And we like broke into universities because back then there was no like chip cards. All you had to do is know how to use a butter knife to open a deadlock, like a deadbolt lock. Yeah. Um, and like would just stay in. Storage rooms and abandoned stairwells and yeah, that was a whole trip. A lot of stuff happened
0: in it. Sounds like it. I mean, this is a folk punk song come to life. Uh, Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. They wish they wish. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um. Yeah, it's basically like the Book of Asian. Right. um,
0: Yo, I mean, like the rush that you had to get. At least in the first few times of like when you were you're pretending to sleep as the tr- as the Amtrak person went by, the rush yeah. of like fuck 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 whoo we made it
1: yeah you know? yeah 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 I mean also like I was so debilitatingly shy hmm. that I probably would still be that way um, if I hadn't just completely broken out of right the situation I was in.
0: Do you, yeah. do you, can you cite someone, someone or something specifically that broke you out of that shyness shell? Because I think
1: like having to lie to survive, yeah. like having to learn how to like, yeah. Uh, just like even, I remember there was a moment where we only had one bus, like bus ticket and there was three of us. And the bus driver figured out that there was two extra people on the bus. Mm. And uh, she went around and she just looked at everyone's ticket. And um, Spider was really fast and he like passed a ticket to Nathaniel. She just looked at it really quick. And then they passed it to me somehow. I don't even know how I did that sleight of hand as a teen. And then she looks at it close and it says, Christoph Martin. Uh-huh. doesn't say the full name because it's like shortened for the ticket yeah and she's like Christoph, and i was like christophany i'm greek and and then she was like oh, whatever and she gave it back and i remember just being like oh my god like <laughs> where did that, that come, come from? from but i think that was like a that was a breaking out moment for me for sure
0: that should yeah. be a band name at some point christophany
1: <laughs> I don't even know if that's a name, but it sounded Greek to me in the book. Yeah, moment.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, no, it's, I mean, it's interesting how situations um, or people or whatever it is can, can get you out of that. Like I, in my own experience, like I was able to like, you know, be animated enough with my friends and all that sort of stuff. But like, <clears throat> I got my first real job, like real, real, like was a retail job where I had to work behind a counter at a record store. And I and I was always, like, talking to strangers and, like, having to ring up, like, strangers and, like, whatever. was something that I was really, really anxious about or even, like, get to know my coworkers and stuff. But it was, like, a couple employees there that, like, kind of forced me out of my shell to be, like, open and feel comfortable in that environment. And, like, I still look to them as, like, man, if it wasn't for those couple people, like, I don't know who I would be today. You know, it's yeah. interesting.
1: It's interesting also- how it works. We always got to give ourselves a little credit, too, because there's so many lessons um, presented to you, and it's up to you to listen, you know?
0: Hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email Michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. You're tra- you're in the you're in the Midwest, so you're you're there. Um and then how do you get back to the west coast or do you go further? Do you go east?
1: We went further. We went all the way to St. Louis, Missouri. I went to East St. Louis actually. Okay. I went to the abandoned slaughterhouses in East St. Louis. Um I stayed in like an abandoned infirmary in St. Louis. It was like totally dilapidated. Like the ceiling on the top floor was totally collapsed and like draped on the pipes that go through the ceiling like curtains. It was Yeah, it was very, so many things happened. I like may or may not have, you know, burned down a house that was abandoned already for fun. I'm not going to say if I did or not. Um, So, yeah, a lot of things happened. And then we wound up, we snuck on a train that was like um, a train going to Texas. It was an Amtrak train. And we rode that to Texas. Texas was kind of a black hole for like three days. And then we, Scammed a Greyhound back and like had to drive through a tornado.
0: Oh my god! Um
1: And that's how I got back. And then I got back to town and I was like, "Oh fuck! I hate being here.
0: Yeah, lose
1: my mind." And then I met this dude, um, who goes by Swampy, who's like a graffiti guy, train hopper dude from San Diego. And two days later he taught me how to hop freight because I hadn't done that before. And I left, I climbed up on the bridge that goes through downtown at like six in the morning. And it was November. And I, I hopped out and I asked my mom permission and she gave me a pocket knife, you know, and I don't, she's a great mom. I don't want her to sound irresponsible. She just knew like, we didn't really have the means, you know? Right. And I was ready to go. And if I didn't go, I probably would have harmed myself. So.
0: And she understood. She did the right thing. Yeah, she understood. She she you had know. a good
1: intuition. Yeah,
0: yeah. You have this in common. Um, and I guess the last question I had about like that first initial trip was like, was there, was there a Was there like a, like a goal? Like we got we got to get to East St. Louis, or like Was no. it just like let's just get on that and is go the and most
1: beautiful thing yeah. about that trip was there is. It's an extremely rare experience to have no destination. I didn't have a a national scene of friends. I didn't have places to be. I didn't care about time. I didn't have a phone. Like, I was only doing it for the bliss and the whim of doing it and just going away from where I grew up. Yeah. Because it was just about doing it yeah I don't know I'll never have that again because I just know too many people and you know and I have too many things I'm putting off these days you know right so so I think that was a really special and rare gift to, to not have one
0: there's so many people that read or like see the into the into the wild movie and and think like Oh my god that wouldn't that just be so nice or whatever but we're all so afraid to do that or to actually give it a try. So I applaud you so much for the fact that you and your friends were able to pull it off and actually make such an experience of it and one that you can just think about for the rest of your life and re- and kind of live in those memories. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. yeah um, it was like a necessity
0: almost but So okay then first time playing music with with like an, in a band a band. So that was that was band band yeah, band band.
1: Uh, Olympia,
0: Olympia, and and that which was and what was that one called?
1: I was in like a noise performance art band, which maybe isn't a band band, but we played punk shows, we played hardcore shows because Olympia is so small, right? You just like all everything's mixed up together. We totally. even went on a tour, West Coast tour, um, and that was called Polly Darton. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. But also, like, was so fun to do. Right. And I played with, like, all the kids from Gag before they were in Gag. Like, they were in this band called Red and Black. And they were like, what is she? You know, like, they're like, she's yeah. weird. But then they're like, let's be friends, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's and so, then... so Is your connection to, I mean, this is probably jumping way too far ahead. And I might shoot myself in the foot doing this. But, like, is your connection to um, the Popwig world through like the gag world
1: yes yeah. okay
0: okay that makes yeah i'd sense. say so okay yeah. okay okay i was trying to because eventually i was gonna be like how did this all come together because you told me a, an awesome story about um getting to know brendan and talking about you know dancing and stuff like that so i didn't know if that was just like a happenstance of you two meeting or if it was through gag or something
1: it's both it's definitely meeting brendan but also before that justice and justice okay. Um, Jeff was in a band, was in Angel Dust, playing drums briefly.
0: What was the first show you ever played, like in front of people?
1: Um, I guess that like with the band, band,
0: sure, or just um, or just in maybe in general.
1: Well, probably that show with Kimmy Dawson. Okay, and then, but like with my bandmate Reed, I played a noise show at a black house in Olympia with this noise musician, John Weiss and that was I loved it. Yeah. Um yeah, but I also feel like I I started new every time. You know what I mean? Cuz the genre I was playing was new. So like there's been a lot of first shows. I don't um know if that
0: makes sense. No it does. It does as as someone who described themselves as as really shy was performing something that you were comfortable still doing like is oh yeah because there's something about you know like it the shyness can go away because it's you're expressing yourself kind of a deal yeah is is that how you felt lately
1: yeah 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 totally it was um some of the best performers I know are like quiet people when they're not on the stage Right. I don't know what it is. I used to judge myself for it, like, oh, Scott's so self centered. Like, you need people looking at you, mm-hmm. like. But I had, a, I had a good therapist once. It was like, don't you don't even know enough to even like know why you feel that way. So just don't mess with it. It's okay to need a witness. Like, it's yeah. Fine. <laughs> or to have like some kind of like designated or ritual space or whatever that right. like like this is where I can open up.
0: You know. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. as just mentioned, like Brendan from Turnstile is, is pretty, pretty quiet ish person, yeah. you know, once you, once yeah. you know him and you, you're in a at a conversation, he doesn't present that much, but he's of that band, probably the shyest. Right. But he's For such sure. a big performer, you know, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Um, so what did you find? I was kind of curious, like when you were performing, like, was because you're such an incredible dancer and like how you perform now, was there any early sign of that when you were performing then?
1: Oh yeah. Because with Polly Darton, it is the most hard band to explain. I like, (laughs) I wonder like if you asked Jeff Caffey or like Joey Mora or someone like that, what they would say about those times. (laughs) Um, uh, But there, it was like, we would like, have quote-unquote songs Uh but the set would change completely before the show started like my my bandmate reed was just a complete lunatic in the best way but he'd be like i don't know i think we should just like i don't i don't even know how to describe it but really i would do a lot of movement stuff okay it's always been a part of it okay and um yeah, I don't I it was it's just always been a part of it. And then I didn't really know how to sing maybe until Vex. I didn't really like understand my voice until I recorded for the first time. Um and then you can hear yourself and you're like, yeah. "Oh." And then you're like, "Oh, I need to breathe like this, like um and warm up and like I can reach these notes actually." Um but I always feel like I'm like my own marionette puppet. Like I need to move in order to make uh, hit the right notes and as a now in my life like I really try to focus on like slowing down and not overdoing it but like moving with intention because I like in when I was Vex with was, was sort of my next band there is a like a recording project in between called TBR but Vex was my like The punk band I was in, and I was just like Tasmanian Devil in that band. You know what I mean?
0: I wish I could have seen that.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's That's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great question. I I wanted to that that I'm glad you sort of said that first time you realized you could sing because I was curious if there was ever when you were younger any opportunities to sing. I like I didn't know if you were ever presented in like having to do like a church singing in church sort of a situation or any shit like that. You know what I'm saying? There's Yeah. The ways in which you as a young person can have that moment of clicking being like, wait, I can carry a tune. I can hold a note. And you're saying Mm. it wasn't really until you recorded that you sort of found that.
1: I did sing as a teenager, but not. I was too shy for choir, and I didn't really like the vibe. Sure, that's <laughs> totally fair. And and church was more of a babysitter than like an institution. My family believed in, so I wasn't doing that either.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I would sing a lot at, alone. And my little sister uh, loved her so much. Was such a brat, and she made fun of me and told me my nostrils flared when I sang. And I just stopped singing for like three years.
0: How something so cutting and specific but seemingly Mm. small can just get in your brain and be like, well, I can't do that. That is a
1: teenage brain right there. You're like, oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would practice in my room just for fun.
0: Right. So uh, let's, let's try to wrap our heads around this a little bit. So, okay, you're in Olympia. Where is Santa Cruz in here? Is that pre or post?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. So... Swampy taught me how to hop trains. Yes. Met an old time string band in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Uh, fell in love with the Upright bassist, who I'm still friends with today. And it's like actually just a really cool person. Wonderful. Well, he's okay. No, he's cool. He's cool. Um, And then I traveled with them down the coast and ended up living for like two or three months in Santa Cruz um in like a fort that we built in the redwoods outside of ucsc that was like an hour hike away from the campus
0: and so you'd have to it would take an hour to get to and from like the the the, like where the where you could like go to a grocery store like get groceries or something like that like it would be like an hour hike to and from
1: no okay it was like 45 minutes maybe But you'd have to make sure you didn't create a trail so no one could find where you live.
0: Oh my god! And then
1: um, that was just to get to the campus. Yeah. Where like we had counterfeit student passes, so we would go in the dining halls and eat there. Yeah. If you woke up at the right times, Um, and then from there you'd take the bus downtown. So you there was no grocery stores nearby. You'd have to take the bus all the way down. Right. City. Yeah.
0: What was the motivation to? to i mean like so the was members of that band also living out there did you meet somebody who lived out there like what they, made what brought you to building a fort out there
1: okay the folk punk theme continues and it's so <laughs> embarrassing but they literally were like do you want to go and build a fort in the redwoods and just like eat like ice cream every day and and uh hang out and go to the beach and i was like yes and that's what i did and we i think i stole a Pine of coconut bliss like every other day i was having a great time
0: <laughs> what okay so what did you make? Like ma- i
1: shouldn't be saying all these like petty crimes that i committed but how whatever. do we know i guess if, yeah, it could
0: fine. be fiction you know yeah does uh how did you what did you build the fort out of
1: um it wasn't super like lost boys i think we like got a carport like sort of like thing okay and then we like built that and then like put a little extra things on it and then like when you're learning how to steal and sell things like yeah outdoor gear is like the first kind of thing that you learn you could resell easily and okay yeah was really easy so yeah we had a lot of like high-tech like mats and and like you know tarps and like really nice sleeping bags like it was a It was, like, a pretty she-she outdoor setup, actually. But the walls, there was no, like, exterior walls, just a roof, sort of. Okay. Yeah.
0: Are there any... You'd, like,
1: roll over and, like, pick a leaf off the bay tree next to you and, like, chew it when you woke up, you know?
0: Were there anything... Is there anything that happened in the middle of the night that you remember as, like, a oh, my God, like, whether it's an animal or anything weird, something spooky? What do you remember?
1: One time... So you have a head. I had a, like a headlamp, mm-hmm. and I was doing the hike back by myself. Um, and I just couldn't find it. I just kept circling back to the same copse of of western red cedar, and I couldn't find it. And my friend Milo, who was living there, knew that I was on my way, and I was like yelling his name. And he's yelling my name. And neither of us can hear each other. We never heard each other the whole night. But we could hear the people on the campus. Both of us could. Could hear the people all the way on the campus. But neither of us could hear each other. And I just was stuck in this loop for, like, a few hours. And um, it's not a dangerous forest, but there's, like, poison oak or whatever. Um, And there's this fucking dude that lived out there, too named star child of course (laughs) and he was like this like weird like old like probably in his 40s or something so i thought he was old uh like wingnut guy who was just so happened to be vegan straight edge and so was i and he he like found me lost and i didn't want him to know i lived out there i didn't want him to know where we lived yeah um and he was like excuse me and instead of being like you're a young girl are you lost or anything he was like excuse me like it's in the middle of the night yeah so dark he's like can I um can I ask you a question and I was like yeah like startled he's like do you know about the vegan straight edge and I was like what I was like I do actually he's like okay great have a good night and he just walked off into the dark and I was like (laughs) Supposed to do with that? Eventually, I I think I I hiked back out to the campus and like found a place like near a like I just found some bushes and like slept there with a, no sleeping bag. Yeah.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> But I don't know where his mind was at. Yeah. Um, but if you, like, give yourself the name Starchild and and decide to live out in the woods alone, you're probably going to be saying shit like that. I don't
0: yeah. Know. I also feel like that is the the character of, like, the oldest joke in the world, which is, like, how do you know when someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you first or something like yeah. that. Oh, you know? It's
1: Completely. Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> um. Also, that story sounds like the Blair Witch Project, because that's literally <laughs> what that is. It's like you just keep walking in circles. You're yelling, each, other, you're trying to find each other, but you're hearing the, the you know, you don't even hear it in the distance, but you end up in the same spot. Like, yeah, that's, uh, mm-hmm.
1: that's I panic the, inducing. The woods can be choosy sometimes. I don't know. I've had that happen a couple of times where like you've walked the same way so many times. And then just this time you're like, wait, what the hell is going on? You know?
0: Right, right. I don't know. Of all the places that you've spent a little time, was there a place that you liked the most?
1: Well, I guess it would be between Olympia, but then also the central coast of California, which is so beautiful. And I would ride bikes there and we would ride to like Pismo Beach from San Luis when I was there. And it was just like rolling hills and like scattered oak trees and like we'd find like little abandoned shacks or like piles of metal that like the rust color is so red compared to the green Hills. It just like pops out like rubies or something, you know, it was just so beautiful, but probably Olympia. Cause I, I sort of like really came of age and learned some semblance of stability there. And also that was the first place I ever felt like I had like sort of like a family in right. music. Yeah.
0: Um, there was a really funny, cool moment when we were on tour together when we were talking about San Luis Obispo and we were telling you about this house that we played uh, when we were doing like a West Coast thing where we were like filming parts of a music video and like back in 2011. And we were like, oh, yeah, we played a f- we played a living room there and we we're describing it to you. And we pulled up the music video and you were like, oh, like, I forget if it was like something you painted or your friend painted that you saw in the background. You're like, oh, I know this house. Kind yeah,
1: of I think there was a painting from Swampy, the guy that taught me how to ride trains.
0: That's right. That's yeah, what it was. and
1: um, it was the house after the house I lived in. So I moved away, and then all my old roommates started that place.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. It was just I love the small world.
1: Me too. Aspect
0: where it's like, oh, that's so awesome that there's like this weird footage that's gonna live on forever, and it's a representation of like also this world that you came from. It's really awesome.
1: Yeah, it's cool. I love that shit. <laughs>
0: Um remind me again how you ended up in New York. Cause you told me the story. It is it's it was like a you ended up there, then you were like, fuck it, I guess I'm staying. Kind of one of these sorts of sorts of stories. Oh,
1: right? that was the first time I ever visited New York. Oh okay. that was just like a crazy I just kept missing a flight and like losing my mind. I like missed the flight like three times. Oh. And they were like and I was staying at 538. It was like in twenty twelve and my friends there that I had made, like, that trip were like, hey, Jane, like, if you want to live here, you don't have to pretend like you're going to the airport every week. <laughs> just, just fucking stay. And meanwhile, I'm having, like, a panic attack. Like, I have no money. I borrowed money from a friend to get the second flight. But yeah. I'm dyslexic. So I look at the arrival times instead of the departure. And oh, my God. But, yeah, yeah it was like a – it's like an older – like generation of 538ers it was right. fun it was back when cream was a band i don't know
0: yeah yeah um you've and is new york the place you've kind of been the longest at this point like evenly
1: moving- with olympia
0: okay okay olympia
1: i lived there for seven years and then new york it'll be seven years this march so
0: do you think you'll ever go back to olympia
1: i don't think i could go backwards hmm I do think I could move away from New York, but I don't think it would feel good to go backwards.
0: That makes sense. Is there anywhere that you would love to be?
1: Maybe like the UK, honestly, but it's a little um, expensive and seemingly impossible. But I love, and it's also like saying you love vanilla ice cream, but I really like the UK (laughs) and I really like Scotland. Um, Yeah. But if it was in the States, I don't know, maybe like, I, I really liked Baltimore. I've only been there a few times, but I have friends there and um, right. I like how diverse the scene is and how like, like homies from the, like people from the neighborhood and then like people playing shows and like just a bunch of random people hanging out together after right. the show, like just feels really good. And I, I, I yeah, I don't know. People were like, oh, it's like really rough there or or everyone likes to say about anywhere you want to move they're like oh it's getting really expensive and it's like that's the whole fucking world man give me like tell me something i don't know but right um yeah i don't know i i i come from a rough place that's not nearly as diverse it's kind of like a crouton town but um yeah i kind of like it i like the dirt
0: <laughs> fair enough yeah. um Okay, you were talking about the first time you recorded and like hearing your voice back and stuff like that. Um, what that was for the noise project—the re- first time recording—that
1: Mm-mm. Okay, that was that? for uh, Vex. That was for Vex, the punk band. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of like proto-punk, sort of Stooges influenced. Are
0: there like any recordings punk. of that laying around? Like, is that oh, for it,
1: sure? We put out. Um, Two EPs and a seven inch, two oh, twelve amazing. inches and a seven inch. The, the last twelve inch never really came to be because the label dissolved while it was coming out. Which oh no, is a bit devastating. Um, but yeah, there's there's recordings and we so we played some. Were those like, seven inches or cassettes or, or...
0: Hmm? were they like They're, seven inch?
1: Uh, twelve inch, a seven inch, and another twelve inch.
0: Oh, amazing! Yeah. So was that your first time also getting your music on like a physical format like that? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Great. What label put those out?
1: Um, damn. Like Grazer from the Bay, which is like a rocker label. Okay. Put out the first one, and then the seven-inch was put out by Katorga Works. Um, oh shit! Which is from yeah. New York. Yeah. And then the one where the label dissolved and there was a bunch of drama with it was Milady from Portland.
0: Okay. Did that band tour?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We toured the West Coast and we flew out and toured the East Coast, but we never did a full U.S. And then we also that was the first time I went to Europe, too.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, what was your first tour like? I mean, because of the way you've been living and stuff like that, I can't imagine it was it was too different from what you'd already been experienced. Like, you know, traveling around with your friends.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, the difference, especially with Vex, is that um, I was still... I have, like, I hate how, like, uh, I don't know, like, buzzwords kind of lose meaning when people use them a lot. Mm-hmm. Basically, I had a lot of, like, bad stuff happen when I was a kid, and it was still, like, bubbling out. Because I had been running away from it for so long. Yeah, And being in, like, a punk band was the first time I got to, like, get it out.
0: Yeah. But
1: there's this, like, catharsis loop that you can get into, that actually is totally unsustainable and just drains you of all your life force. And um, so psychologically, like the first tours I went on were really hard because you don't sleep hypoglycemic, only eating one meal a day. And then like literally just rolling around, headbutting people, screaming, drooling on myself, drooling on others, like really fun, but just like a little bit I've talked to justice about this actually but just like this thing where you like want to get the negativity out so bad that you actually just end up like charging yourself up with it or you can't get it all out or it's like going to a bathhouse and not drinking enough water and all the toxins reabsorb and you just get sick like so those tours were fun but I I you know, bless my bandmates for putting up with me. I was like not in a good mental headspace a lot.
0: Jesus, everything you just said is so relatable. I get that <laughs> so much. I get that yeah. so much. I, I deal with that personally when I'm like it, the in sort of the space I'm living in now, which I'm actually so thankful that I have this podcast to sort of break me away from it and like talk to friends and talk to creative people who are inspiring always. But like when I'm having to write and so much of, what the band is expected to write or what comes out is like all of the worst shit. So then when you're just basically living in like the, I'm trying to write and all you're focusing on is the worst parts of yourself. Like Mm -mm. that, that is not fun. It's It's not not
1: fair either. That's why like, it's so nice making, I mean, it still happens even with my solo stuff now, but like I try so much to focus on charging myself with the right feelings. And that's why when we were playing shows together, I like asked you what it felt like to sing your old lyrics right. when you had to sing your old songs. Cause it's something I think about. And like, if I write a song, I want it to like, I, I want to like use the words, like a spell, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm going off on a tangent, but David Bowie, When he wrote um, Station to Station, I don't know if you know, he like doesn't even remember recording it. No. He was going through the darkest period of his life. Um, He was getting really into occultism and weird kind of bad shit and like was just had a diet of cocaine, milk and bell peppers. Like he was like off his rocker. Yeah. But one of my favorite Bowie songs is Word on a Wing. And um, he says that he wrote it as like a spell of protection during that time period because he was so scared that like he was losing his soul right you know and it doesn't have to be religious necessarily but you're you know songs have so much of a charge to them. that's why they affect people yeah and now i try to focus on what i'm going to charge it with
0: i am here to update you on the upcoming releases from persistent vision records you can pre-order The incredible split between Massanera and Quiet Fear. It's a collaborative split. Both of these bands are great. If you're a fan of Screamo, sign right up. You can pre-order these through Persistent Vision and through Deathwish Inc. Also available is a self-titled 12-inch from the band Goisha, who are a new DC band featuring members of Genocide Pact and Brain Tourniquet. They're playing death metal with elements of grind, black metal, and punk. And lastly, a record from the band Wreath, the album is called "The Land Is Not An Idle God." They are a dark melodic crust band out of London, featuring members of the iconic bands Fall of Afrafa and Morrow. Head up Persistent Vision or Deathwish Inc. to order now. Last, like tour question for for Europe was was that like a was it just was it just the UK was it mainland as well? How long was that tour?
1: It was. So that was our, that was the longest tour I've been on, which I haven't toured that much, but it was 36 days. Oh, that's long. And I think we had like one or two days off. Oh my God. Yeah. And like not a lot of eating, not a lot of sleeping. And it was from the UK all the way to like Gdynia, Poland, and way too many shows in Germany to keep a positive mindset. (laughs) Oh my god because it was a german booker was this a, um, and just was the this routing like... was insane me and the drummer cory rose who's in um color green she's like an incredible drummer she lives yeah. in la now um we both got roofied in godinia by some oh, weird Jesus dude Christ. we didn't like black out yeah. i think it was some kind of muscle relaxer or some something yeah but he kept offering to buy us drinks and we we're like Oof. no no we're fine we're fine no, no. And I also yeah. didn't drink anyway. And he's like, coffee? What about coffee? And I, in my fucking naive brain, I was like, they can't put drugs in coffee. <laughs> so we were like, okay, yeah, we'll take a coffee. And then like, maybe like 20 minutes later, we both were like, and like looked at each other, immediately knew there was something in the drink and had to like, get out of there.
0: Jesus fucking but Christ. Yeah, it was this wild time. That was a wild time. Jesus Christ. Um, mm-hmm. Was that was that tour like in the sense of what was it like sleeping on floors like punks do probably at most venues um you know what I'm talking yeah. about
1: but also a lot of like hostile or not hostels like squat like post squats you know like a lot of squats in Europe were squats and then they kind of just become right
0: and they have rooms for bands to stay in type stuff yeah but yeah. also
1: it's kind of like you're kind of like a weird like performer like locked in the cage until they let you out you know they like yeah, lock yeah, yeah. the door behind you and they insist that you eat breakfast And right. they, which is nice but yeah. sometimes you don't have the time yes right? and then they like insist that you get there in time for lunch and then right. they lock you in the bedroom at night again so you're just like yeah. some weird like rapunzel being shipped around the country <laughs> you know I don't know. That's like a really negative way to say it. No,
0: I get it. I get it. I get it. And it's
1: always vegan chili. And you're like,
0: what the fuck? Yeah. Vegan
1: chili again. (laughs) This
0: is crazy. I don't know that we ever even got vegan chili. I mean, those first tours was just, you know, punk stew, which was just like this gray rice with potatoes and onions and it was just it was every day you would show up to the venue and be starving you're like i'm so hungry and then there would be a a, someone would appear from the back with a gigantic pot and huge plugs that's all (laughs) All yes all the cooks always had big plugs and they and and possibly
1: dreadlocks Yes. yes yes
0: And you're just like, well, there it is. And the the rice was like often half cooked, just like crunchy. Just yeah. Yep.
1: The only thing that made it chili was that there was beans in it.
0: Oh, true. There and you go. And like
1: <clears throat> maybe some Tabasco, and they're like, watch out, guys. This is it's spicy, gonna be spicy. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> 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 um yeah. i mean it's it was so yeah but it's like you're so hungry that you're just like you're thankful that there is food but every day you're just like oh my god what i would do yeah. for just like pasta just like just heat up some noodles and throw some red sauce on it or something you know
1: But mm-hmm. well, um, like, um not to yeah. jump ahead but literally the very next year i went on another european tour yeah with a different band um it was this band cc dust that i started with my friend david uh just so we could learn, I wanted to learn how to write songs on my own, okay. and I wanted to make more like beautiful, like gentle music, you know. Yeah. So it was like synth pop, which is like kind of like Section Twenty Five, like band, those are like my favorite kind, of, New Order, favorite bands, you know. Yeah. Um. So it was that, and my friend Michael Kasparis, who runs this label, Night School, set up a tour for us, and it was more west Western Europe, but It was just two of us. So we took trains almost the whole way. Amazing. Except for Spain, Guillaume from Una and Incontrolable, and like Invasion, which is like one of my favorite hardcore bands from that time period. He drove us around Spain. Um, That's incredible. that was way nicer. And we played underground pop shows, which I didn't even know that could be a scene because I don't really even think pop is a genre. Uh, I think anything could be pop. Um, but it was just like so fun. I saw so many weird, cool acts and like, it was a complete, like, I don't know what that's called. Just like a relief or, yeah, I don't know. I was, I was so glad that I gave it another chance and it was, it was really fun.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. I mean, yeah, our first few times over there were as described, like very similar, just like, you know, it's, it's boot camp it's tough it's like you're you're figuring it out but then once you find the things that or you go in a way that is more in line with your comforts and things like that then you then you can sort of find all of the beauty and being there and all that sort of stuff because you're all it's like a mixed emotion always because like even when it was the hardest to tour we there I was also like I cannot believe I'm here like look yeah. at how beautiful this place is and how kind people are and like all of this sorts of stuff so it was always a weird juxtaposition of feelings every single day
1: totally yeah i yeah and i i don't want to sound ungrateful or same yeah totally like it was it was such a cool opportunity and i experienced so much in you know same as when i was homeless like in such a short amount of time yeah and made so many friends that i like still have today right which is really cool
0: are you in this between the noise band, between the punk bands, between doing that project to where you are now? Um, where how did you learn to start making the music that you make right now? Like uh with making beats and like making the the music that you sing over, like what was the trajectory and like how did you end up here?
1: Yeah, well, um I think CC Dust was like such a big beginning for that. Um we kind of tried to write everything 50 50, but I definitely wrote more of the synth melodies. So David wrote some of those too. And then I would help with like drum sequencing sometimes. Um, David wrote a lot of the bass lines, but like there's like songs where like we have a baritone guitar and I write the first half of the solo and he writes the second half. Like I love thinking collaborative collaboratively with people actually. Um, but to go on your own and do it is a lot scarier. I I helped write things with CCFX as well. Um mostly synth stuff because that's the easiest for me cuz I melodically thinking. Mm-hmm. And then when I started doing this on my own, I had to like I don't know, I had to um I always say like songwriting alone is like swimming. It's like seventy percent confidence and like thirty percent buoyancy, you know. And like learning how to build that confidence took a minute. Like the first song I wrote was "Opening of a Field" Mm -hmm. on that record, and that took like nine months, (laughs) you know. But then like by the end of it, I like when I was in LA writing and recording, I wrote like three or four songs in a couple weeks, you know. So.
0: Wow, so the record that you the the record that you have out now on Popwig was that recorded in two different studios? Because I saw, um, like, it has uh, Dylan Carlson playing on it, and I would think of him as a West Coast person, right?
1: Yeah, that was recorded in L.A. Okay. in Eagle Rock, right next to Rob Schnaff's studio.
0: Oh, um, yeah,
1: with Jimmy Dixon and. My friend Matt Barry from Seattle was uh, like mixing his, the Barry's record yeah. with Rob. And then I think that's how I met Justice. Oh,
0: okay. Mm-hmm. This makes sense. But that's also
1: like a crazy story of like my face like almost blowing up on a plane ride over getting like a horrible infection from a tooth I didn't ever get fixed because. Like I said, I grew up poor. And then uh, going into mild sepsis, my left side of my face is like so swollen. My eye was shut. And I met Justice looking like a melon. And uh, I was like recording vocals like that and just going through with it anyway. And I had to have a GoFundMe. I had a bunch of surgeries in the mix of all this. And I got stranded in L.A. for like a month and a half in the same house that Dylan Carlson was living in. Whoa. <laughs> and um, I would kind of, I smoked at that time, which is insane to me. I yeah. can't believe I smoked for like two years, but I would just hang out on the porch with Dylan and listen to classic rock and smoke cigarettes with him. And then, um, like, just ask him questions about small towns in Washington. And then I'd get all these, like, really wild stories about his old friends and stuff.
0: I bet. Yeah. Wow. So, because the, the record also. Uh, you also did parts with with Ben Greenberg from Uniform mm-hmm. as well. So and that's and that's New York. So like what, yeah. So would you say like half the record is West Coast, half the record is East Coast? Like or did did the mixing involve Ben? Like how how did the record all come together? Because it feels very like, all you know, it feels natural. Like it's all kind of a part the cohesion. Of yeah, cohesion. Is, thank you. That's what I'm It's part
1: for. way, <laughs> like my weird ass brain making a bunch of songs that are different but are cohesive and then like a big part of it is ben greenberg being such an amazing mixer okay because like two of the songs maybe two or three were recorded in like a basement in south brooklyn by a friend and then like three of the songs were in la in like a very nice studio and then the rest was with ben Okay. So somehow we made all of that work. And the person that I recorded the first of the songs with was not very communicative and even giving me the stems. One of the songs still had the vocals on it. I just never got the stems for it after mm. like two years of them yeah. having it. And Ben was a G and just like figured out how to mix it anyway.
0: Okay. So yeah. Um how was the was this record done before Popwick was involved?
1: Mm, like I think that I was finishing the last two songs right around when they got involved yeah
0: okay was it was your initial plan like to maybe find someone to put it out or were you just going to self-release it like what what was uh, I your was motivation? trying to find
1: someone to put it out um and like I did I've never done that before I've never had to look yeah it just sounds like so privileged or something but i don't know what was going on but i know i didn't even have social media until 2021 like and lived in olympia didn't have like a any kind of presence like that but ccfx got put out on dfa we only played three shows like that's crazy yeah county liners that was like a country band i put out an ep with them um easy record. It was like, yeah, let's do it. You know? Yeah. Perennial records in Olympia put out CC dust and Mike Michael in Scotland, who I met during Vex tour, put out the seven inch. So it was, it's always been like friends or people already interested talking to me. And this is the first time where I had to like sell myself, which I don't know how to do that. And it's very discouraging because people want you, especially now, especially post COVID to have some kind of presence mm. like Like social social media
0: and like yeah like
1: (sighs) yeah and then they're like we want you to have legacy and i'm like well i have been putting out albums and touring and doing all these things for like 10 years but um i think that the numbers it just kind of you know so i didn't no one was really biting and then um justice said something about being interested and then by chance i met brendan and we started talking a lot (laughs) and Sharing music back and forth that we liked, and talking about songwriting, and um he offered to put it out and asked me to open for them.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Where did you open for them for Turnstile? Boston. And- <laughs> was that the House of Blues? I don't know why that's where-
1: funny, but where was it? Um, Roadrunner. It's like oh, a big venue yeah. in Boston.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did it go?
1: I think it went okay. The only time I ever messed up uh moon halo like the, the song where i play guitar yeah was there oh, which no. is like in front of the biggest audience i've ever been in front of
0: oh man well
1: maybe yeah and uh i just couldn't fucking hear the track in the stage monitors yeah and i couldn't get it i think i restarted it even which is like forbidden um and i was like fuck it i just shut it off after i restarted it was like you know what fuck it i'm not playing that song and then i was like it's way cooler i just messed up in front of all you people than if i just done it right the first time (laughs) that's how you fucking own it and then i just went for the last song and yeah it was okay but (laughs) people were definitely really um receptive and also like you know there's some bros there's some there's definitely some like dudes yelling like take your shirt off
0: what the fuck
1: but i just chalk that up to they—they their turnstile fans and they're used to, used to seeing the singer take his shirt off so maybe they're just like you know that's what singers do i don't know <laughs> that's, the, um, that's the kindest way to, to approach that song. yeah you know maybe they just think all front people take their shirts off i don't know
0: <laughs> oh my god um i was i i reading through some of the lyrics that I that I have that I uh that I was able to see on um, on Bandcamp I think your lyrics are are amazing and and really 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 uh I don't know they're they feel a lot like poetry in a lot of ways and I was curious if you have any lyricists that have always been big influences to you like is there any, is there one when, when you go to write is there anyone that you kind of look to that you pull inspiration from that, or to get you kind of in a good headspace for writing
1: Yeah well um I write poetry for one. Amazing. Yeah, um, and I like do. I've like done readings at like St. Mark's Church, and like
0: I got to read at
1: like Lawrence Ferlinghetti's hundredth birthday celebration, and like I publish that kind of writing. So that's a big part of it. And reading poetry is something that really inspires me, for sure. Wow. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm very jealous of your ability to do that. I I because I I do some writing too and I've been asked sometimes to to try to do that and I did it on like a live stream once and I did such a bad job because I was so nervous like Mm. when I when I public read like my eyes get ahead of the words because I'm Mm. nervous and I can't it's just like it all gets very jumbled Um, I
1: read it back to myself a lot and I when I've done public readings I usually have like. Most of it memorized. So when I get nervous, I'll just close my eyes mm. and recite it, you know,
0: that kind def- of and yeah.
1: because poetry for me is I'm sure for a lot of people, but it's all about rhythm and like breath. So if you think about it like you're singing, you know, you yeah. can like memorize the like internal rhythm of the words that you're writing and then it makes it a lot easier versus like you're reading a book to people in a in like class and you're like freaking out.
0: That's incredible um, advice actually. <laughs> That's, yeah. I didn't, I think I was just so hard on myself because it was like my first time doing it and I did, I don't think I was prepared. I was I think I thought that I could just read it from the book in my hand and I just like I I crumbled. It was it was really like a a, a humbling experience you know but i but i think if i approach it the way you just said that would be extremely helpful so i appreciate that that insight
1: (laughs) for sure yeah um but like as far as musicians i hate to say it but i really love the smiths and even just like uh my roommate's been trying to just for fun like wintertime hobby like learning um cemetery gates yeah, on guitar and we we're talking about the lyrics and him saying like keats and yates are on your sh- on your side but yeah. wild's on mine and like how you'd like get in trouble for like grifting stanzas from famous poets but i think that's just really cool yeah. you know it's like these people aren't even i mean maybe some of them but most people aren't even going to be reading gates you're like getting them to read it you're like Doing a little seance for the poets. It's great. And even in, in CC Dust, like I took a stanza from an Emily Dickinson poem for that song, The One to Wait. That's like To Wanders My Reprise, Death Adrift of Western Gray, Leave It Behind, Dissolve It Into Dusk Away. That's Dickinson. But I was moving to the East Coast and it was all about not knowing and leaving home behind. And and it, it just felt perfect for it and it fit the rhythm of the song. So I didn't want to fight it. And I love Kathy Acker too and Burroughs. So they're, they're all about that.
0: I think there is something so rewarding when an artist leaves Easter eggs for people to discover. And then Me that too. takes them down a complete different path. I am all about the reference. I'm all about the Easter eggs. I think it's such a magical gift that you can give to a listener.
1: Yeah, same.
0: Backed. Um, This has been awesome. I could talk to you all day. I'm going to hit <laughs> you with the last question, which okay. is when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? I haven't felt it yet. (laughs) It's totally, it's, it's not an uncommon answer, but let's, let's talk it out.
1: I, I, I've done so many projects, right. And like, I was in, well, I guess polydarn is kind of like a growing phase, but like from Vex on, um, Vex was like, just getting there you know what I mean like the New York Times is like best live band of 2015 like it was kind of weird and then it ends yeah and then CC Dust was one of my maybe my favorite band I've I've ever been in Um, and it became Mm -hmm. CCFX and right when we're about to like record and write another LP and we're getting funding and we're going to go on tour to Europe my bandmates Want to make drum and bass music, and they they tell me they don't really want to do this project anymore and so everything gets cancelled, and I have to start over again and now I'm on my own and i'm thirty four and i I work at a restaurant and i I write and I make this music, but it's just this like and I know it's a common story, but I just feel like I'm starting over and over and over, and every time it's more developed and um you know, it truer to form, uh, which is good. Uh, cause I do have a fear of devolving in my life or getting too comfortable, but I, I don't think I've, I've reached that place yet where I feel like I've, I feel like I've like stuttered, you know?
0: Um, it's something that is always <clears throat> super inspiring to me is that when you learn that like Leonard Cohen didn't put out his first records until he was in his thirties where you're just wow, like, yeah. that's really nice to hear you know it is <laughs> um i feel like age at this point is specifically does not matter because yeah. also there's the bands that people didn't really start connecting with until those members were in their forties. You know, like I think of a band like the national or something like that, where it's like, those guys didn't hit big until they were much later in their life, like stuff like that, you know?
1: Totally. And even, especially with musicians today, even if you do quote unquote, make it, you might still have to be a runner at a restaurant in your forties for all we know, you know, it's the same, but it's like closer to what it used to be in the middle ages, you know, where like you could be like the most famous actor in like a Shakespeare company, but you're still like going to eat the rotten tomato off the floor because you're broke, you know, totally like artists weren't paid. They were paid in like notoriety and the satisfaction of doing it, but they weren't wealthy. Not to say I wouldn't like some security because I've yet to truly feel like I have it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's not, it's not an unusual thing historically.
0: <laughs> well, I can say from the deepest, deepest, deepest depth of my soul that i 1000 percent believe in anything you're going to do because you're an incredible performer with a very unique everything presence voice all of it so i'm excited to Thank see you. what you continue to do going forward it's been such an just amazing time getting to know you in these in this just a couple months so i'm excited to see what what the uh the future holds for you
1: yeah thanks jeremy
0: And that is our show. Thank you so much to Mary Jane for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was produced, edited, and made to sound so great by my good friend, my pal, my absolute fucking dog, Ryan rainbow Uh reminder: there's a bonus episode available right now where Mary Jane answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going over to patreon.com/slash the first ever Patreon or find the link in this episode description. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye-bye.